This morning I want to speak on continuing the topic of discipleship. We've been speaking about the last couple of Sundays. And, and uh, the first Sunday we spoke, we talked about the cost of being a disciple. And, and, and that it was a, truly a cost. And it was a, a process of, of a, an expensive proposition for us to be a, a disciple for Christ. And last week we talked about the purpose um, of being a disciple. In fact, yeah, Grayson, if you'd go ahead and hand out those uh, outlines, I would much appreciate it. But when we talked about being a cost, um, it is an all-in approach to living for Jesus. When, when we're talking about the cost of discipleship, we're saying that there's nothing more valuable than living for Jesus. That is what the cost of being a disciple was. The Word says, What is a profit of man for him to gain the world and forfeit his soul? That's the cost of being a disciple. There's nothing at all that is worth the risk of losing discipleship. And then last week we spoke about the purpose of being a disciple. Then the purpose of being a disciple is to be like Christ, to learn about God our Father, and then to be a fruit bearer for Christ. And the purpose of being a disciple, at the end of the day, we can all look at it and say it was worth it. It was worth it. When we hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful, that will be the sweetest words we'll ever hear. That is the purpose of discipleship. It is worth it to be a disciple and then to see all those that you brought into the kingdom with you. Like, like Andy talked to Lois today about praying for her youngest daughter or her daughter to be saved. And, and we all have examples where we've been influencing other people's lives. When Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful, well, what a sweet, sweet refrain that's going to be for us, isn't it? And so, yes, discipleship is tough. It's hard. It's an all-in thing. And the purpose of being a disciple takes work. It takes effort. But it's worth it. Today I want to speak more of a tactical process of what is it really to be, the, be a disciple? What's the application process of being a disciple? We learned about the cost. We learned about the purpose. Now, what do you have to do to be a disciple? Have you ever wondered about that? Can you, can you identify with me here and say, yeah, I've also wondered, what, it was, what does it mean to be a disciple? How do I do that? How do I do it? We've dis, we defined discipleship the last couple of weeks as being the intentional pursuit of Jesus that produces increasing likeness to him by believing what he said and living like he lived. Well, that's a definition, but how? How do we really put feet and actions to that definition? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to really understand that, um, what it means. How do we do that? And I think one thing that will help us, keep this in your mind or write this down if it's not in your notes, but when we can see what God sees, then we can do what God says. But until we can change our vision, until we can put on God's perspective or God's uh, viewpoint in my life, until I can understand that, I really can't even begin to do what God says until I can see what he sees. And that's about my life. It's about my inconsistencies. It talks about me being honest about who I am. I can't look at other people until I'm honest about who I am. I have to see me the way God sees me. And believe me, that's not always very pretty. I have some rough edges, and I have some things that God sees in me that he doesn't like. And I need to see that. The Word says, search me, O God, and see if there be a wicked way within me. 
I have to be able to be willing to search my heart. Are you willing to search your heart as well? Can you say that? Can you look at that and say, Lord, search me out, search me. What, what do you not like about me, God? How then, can, what do I need to change? What do I need to work on so that I can be a disciple for you? That's part of the tactical process of being a disciple. We spoke, at the, we spoke before that discipleship is a daily process. It's not a one-time event. It's an occurring thing every day. It's a new commitment of daily choices. It's a choice, day, choice after choice. It's a combination of joy and pain and suffering and enduring all the way to the end of life, all the way to the end. It's a daily dying of self and a living to Christ. It's becoming less so that Christ become, can become more. It's removing of myself from the center point of my life and putting Christ at the center point of my life. That's the process of being, of being a disciple. And, it's, and, and when we can let everything we do revolve around Christ, that's the beginning of discipleship. That's just the beginning of living when we can begin to do that. So as we look at the tactical approaches, what does it really take to be a disciple? I want to talk about three, three major areas. Number one, who am I a disciple of? Being a disciple, I can be a disciple of lots of different things, but now I have to know who am I being a disciple of. What do I really need to be a disciple? What do I need to do to be that disciple? And then how do I know when I am, when I am a successful disciple? Those are three questions that I have, and I hope that you have them as well. And So we're going to get into God's Word, and we're going to try to find out what God says about being a disciple, and hopefully let Him help us answer some of those questions. So what does God's word say, say about, uh, about who I'm to be disciple of? Now, um, clearly, we're in church, so clearly the obvious statement is we're a disciple of Jesus. All right? But what does it really take to be a disciple of Jesus? Is it just knowing about Jesus, or is it truly getting to know Jesus? Is there a difference? Let me ask the question. Is there a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference, isn't there? No, it's no different than I could know anybody, any other physical man. I can know President Obama, or I could really be a personal friend of President Obama. There's a difference, isn't there? So we have, to, we have to know that to be a true follower of Jesus, there must be an intentional effort made in my part to make that relationship intimate. It has to be something that I have to get to know him uh, because I want to get to know him. There has to be desire within me. And common sense then says that if I am going to get to know someone, I have to spend time with that person. I cannot spend time, or I cannot get to know someone that I don't spend time with. That's kind of what we talked about uh, this morning during worship, about really the American church really has it backwards in so many ways because we think that church, or this hour and a half time, is where we get all our spirituality it's where we get it. Well, in reality, this is not where we get it. We get it on Monday through Saturday on our own private devotions. That's when you get it. And if you're waiting, if you're depending upon Sunday mornings for you to get your spirituality, you're going to be about that deep. You're going to be very, very shallow of a Christian because that's not where you get it. You get it through your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we can have 
five people in a sanctuary or we can have 5,000 people in a sanctuary and it doesn't make any difference because it's about you and Jesus because you've spent time with him all week long practicing so that when you come to Sunday morning to game time, you're prepared. That's why when we walk in the worship service, the first song, we should be up, standing up, worshiping Him. We don't have to wait to the last song to get into worship because we should be prepared for worship. We should come in ready to worship Him because we've been practicing all week and now we're coming into game time. That's truly what the church is about. If the American church really got it, we wouldn't have to have so much preamble. We could just come right in and just get into the kingdom of the Lord and we could get right into his presence and we could be right in the middle of it immediately because we're practiced up and we're so hungry for the Lord. That's what becoming a disciple is about. But so many times people get anxious when pastors start meddling like this. (laughs) When they start meddling in my own personal time, they say, Pastor, get off my toes. Back up a little bit. That's my time you're talking about. That's my time Monday through Friday. You don't have any time. You don't have any responsibility to talk to me about that. And I'm saying, yes, I do. As a pastor, as a shepherd of the flock, as someone that loves you, yes, it is my responsibility to push you. It is my responsibility to, to urge you and encourage you to get into the Word and get into your own special prayer time. Amen? If I'm not going to do it, who is? If I'm not going to be the one standing up saying, are you praying? Are you reading God's word? Are you getting to know who this Jesus is? If I'm not going to do it, is the guy pumping gas for you going to do it? Is the guy that changes your oil going to do it? Is the, is, the, is the lady that checks you out at the grocery store going to do it? No, they're not going to. It's my job. <laughs> and I want to do it because I love you, because I'm not angry, because I'm not, I'm not pushing anything down, with, down on your throat that I don't believe, that I'm not practicing myself. And so because when we do it together like this, discipleship is really walking together with somebody. It's not walking alone. It's walking together. And I'm walking along with you. And now I should be walking just a little bit ahead of you so that I can lead you as a leader should do. But I can't get too far out advanced because otherwise I'll, 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 you'll lose sight of my back and you won't follow me. So I have to go slow. I have to work with you. And I have to sometimes push because I need to be pushed. Sometimes people have to push me too. So I understand what pushing and pulling is all about. But God's Word tells us straight up that we are to be a student of the Word. We can't get to know Jesus if we're not spending time with Him and if we're not studying about Him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this way. In the Amplified Version, it says, Study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, which is tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, who correctly analyzes and accurately dividing, which is rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Now, the Amplified Version is a hard version to read because you have those little words in in, in the parentheses there. But... If you look at that and if you really study it and read the word, what he's saying, he says that we are to correctly analyze God's word and we're to study it and we're to um, handle it correctly in our teaching and in our living of it. But it takes effort, doesn't it? That doesn't happen by itself. 
One cannot be an intelligent disciple of Christ without offering and understanding the hope of who Jesus is in our life. And we have to, we, we're responsible for that understanding. I'm responsible for my understanding, and you're responsible for your understanding. And then we work together to develop it and to nurture each other in it. We're instructed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5:17, a very simple verse. Pray continually. <laughs> Pray continually. That is unceasingly, without ceasing, all the time. Pray continually. Now, how do you do that, Mike? How do you pray continually? Well, I'll tell you how you do it. It's easy. Praying continually is not hard. Praying continually is getting yourself in an attitude of the first thing you do whenever you get up in the morning, you say, good morning, Jesus. Good morning, God. I'm up this morning, and you've moved on your day. Keep moving along. And then when you have a choice to make, you say, Lord, what should I do with this choice? What should I do on this one? Should I go this way? Should I go that way? And then when you give an answer, say, thank you, Jesus. That's praying continually. But I'm not talking about getting on your knees and having to come into church and, and you know, laying prostrate on the floor. Now, there's a time to do that. Absolutely, there's a time to do that. There's a time to do that um, in your own personal prayer time. But praying continually is just keeping your heart and your mind in a constant attitude of, Lord, hi, I'm here, you're here, you're my friend, I'm your friend. What are we doing today? What can you help me with today? What can I do for you today? And everything that comes along, I have that attitude of, Lord, what is it? What do you want me to do about it? And then the next question is, well, why? Why? If Jesus already knows what's on my mind, why do I need to pray continually? He already knows what I'm going to be asking him, so why should I pray? We, we're, we pray because we're instructed to pray. Let me just give you that. I don't understand it any more than that. Because if God does know, well, I, I do believe one reason I think he wants me to pray is because he wants my relationship. He wants me to talk to him. He wants me to spend time with him. But other than that... He already knows my requests now, but I am instructed on a regular basis to pray. Luke chapter 18 tells us this. There's a parable that Jesus spoke in Luke, the first eight verses of Luke chapter 18. It says, And then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And he will not, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So do you see the parable that Jesus is talking about? Here this, this little lady comes, this little persistent widow who has no power over the judge, who cannot... Uh, manipulate the judge who has nothing against him, nothing that she, that she can do to twist his arm other than just be persistent. And when he is seeing this, now he's not a just judge. He doesn't really care about justice. He just wants this lady to leave him alone. So for that reason, then he answers her request. Now, God is a just God. 
But God, Jesus uses this as an example that as we keep coming to God, our Father, with our persistence, God will answer our prayer. And he will answer us and he will give us the desires of our heart as we have already given him our heart to give us the desires in. That's praying in the will of God. But what's so interesting then too about the last sentence here is that obviously prayer is vital. It's very important to our relationship with Jesus. It's our verbal aspect of our communication with the Lord. And it cannot be overemphasized or or underemphasized to its importance. But here it is. Jesus is asking a question. He's asking a question. When I come back, when the Son of Man comes, when the rapture takes place and I come back, will I find anyone faithful? Will I find anyone that is so diligent to keep praying to me? Will I find it, God? Will I find them? Let me ask you the question. Do you want Jesus to find you persistent in prayer? How do you want the Lord to find you? How, does the Lord, how do I want the Lord to find me? If I'm diligent and He comes, I want Him to be faithful. I want to be faithful, faithfully seeking Him until the very end. And I want Him to know that I'm searching after His Word and I am pressing in. I want to be pleasing in His sight. Now, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not entering in, if I'm not seeking God with all my heart every day of the week, do you think I'm pleasing to God? Do you think he's looking at me and saying, I'm I'm pleased with that man over there that's taking time to do his own thing but won't spend time with me? Do you think God's pleased with that? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So I think that, that that's part of the relationship building with the Lord. We must develop a regular habit of prayer and Bible reading. Otherwise, it's impossible to please God. Think about it. It really is. Now, I know, I know that in my own self, I'm too weak to do this. I need the power of the Holy Spirit living in me if I am going to be about the Father's business. I can't do this on my own, and neither can you. So we must ask the Holy Spirit to be with us and give us that desire to have that intimate relationship with Him. So what else, what's next? The next thing is, what do I really have to do to be a disciple? What do you really have to do? Think about it. What, do you really, what are the actions that you must do to be a disciple? Well, I think, again, I think we overthink it so many times. The answer is really simple. Let me give you the really easy answer. Live a life according to love and obedience to Jesus' commands and his teachings. You want to be a disciple? Make it simple. Love and obey. Love and obey because there's no other way. What's that song, Jackie? Sing it. Love and obey, so there's no other way. Trust and obey. Well, okay, well, I say love and obey, so trust and obey. But, but love and obey, that's the way. You want, you, want to, you want to be a disciple of Christ? Love and obey. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. John 4, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. John 14:23 Jesus replied if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching. Why why is it so important that we have to obey his teaching? Because it proves then that we are committed to him. It proves then that I am more committed to him than I'm committed to myself. I'm I'm committed to his teachings, his commands. See, we think the Lord, we we in our American culture, so many times we think that if you love me, you'll leave me alone. If you love me, there will be no demands. If you love me, there will be no commands. If you love me, there will be no boundaries. That's not freedom. That's not true love. 
true love says, I love you enough to keep you protected. I love you enough to nurture you and to teach you and to guide you. And that's exactly what Jesus says. John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus was the perfect example of being a disciple of his Father. Because he lived and he loved and he obeyed and he listened to his Father. Everything Jesus did, he listened and he did what his Father said first. He didn't do anything on his own, did he? Jesus knew how to pray continually. Jesus knew he practiced it. And he was a very good player of it. All right, so now that's, again, that's still not very practical, is it? I mean, I'm still talking stuff up here. I'm still talking stuff that really doesn't get down to where I live every day. How do we do the things every day to make me a disciple? Well, Jesus recognized that we were going to have some questions. He knew that we were still going to try to struggle with love and obey. Yes, we hear the commands. We hear the teachings. But he, sa he, he says, all right, now let me give you something a little bit more practical. And this is where it gets a little bit dirty, folks. I'm going to tell you, you may not like this. You may not like what you're going to read, what we're going to read next, because it's going to put yourself on the line. It's going to put you out. It's going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to make you do something that maybe you don't want to do. But Jesus said this, and that's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, in the message translation, it says this. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sort, sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. Here's why. This is where we're told how to be a disciple. This is where we're told the nuts and bolts. This is the getting our hands dirty of discipleship. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Folks, if we want to be disciples of Christ, we need to get off our easy chairs. We need to get out of our homes, and we need to do something for people that are less fortunate than ourselves. It is, that's, how we're, that's how we're disciples. That's how we go and we make new disciples is that we care for them more than we care for our own comforts. Jesus was very concerned about meeting the needs of the people of his day. And he was a great influencer. And we as well can be a great influencer of the people that were around. And he never limited his efforts to the people that were just like him. Jesus always went to those that were less fortunate or were more unlike him than like him. And he made an influence with them. 
So that puts a lot of pressure on us, doesn't it, a little bit. But let me ask you, let me, let me go down and say a little bit more, because I don't want everybody walking out of here feeling so condemned, thinking, oh, now we've got to sell everything we have and we've got to go live with and give everything to the poor. That's not what I'm talking about. Let me ask you this. Do we have to do all the same things? Do I have to do what you do? If your discipleship requires that of you, does my discipleship require that of me? Yes and no. My heart better be that way, but my physical things can be different. In other words, we all can't do the same thing. And the reason I say that is because we're told that in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. But yet we don't have the same function. Right? So you don't have to do what somebody else is doing to be an effective disciple. So don't feel condemned. And the reason that this is so important is because the devil will condemn us. The devil will bring condemnation to us and he will say, well, because you can't be everything to everybody, you're not a good disciple. That's a lie from the devil. Don't worry about that. Don't let that come upon you. You just do what you're being asked to do and do it well. And then let somebody else do what they're asked to do, and they do it well. And when we're doing this functioning as a body, we're very functioning together. Because you do what you do well, I do what I do well, and then together we come and we're a good functioning body. But don't let the devil try to tell you you have to be everybody. Because you're not Superman or you're not Superwoman. And you're going to burn out if you try that. So you have to look at it smartly. My wife always tells me, work smart, work smart don't work hard. Right? Is that what you tell me? Oh, there's a difference between working smart and working hard. See, I've, I've only got the last half of it. I got the not, not, the not working hard part. I didn't get the work smart part. <laughs> there's a difference between working hard and a difference between working smart. And she says, work smart. And that's true. So now, how do we know? How do we know then when we're truly an effective disciple? How do we know that? I have a good example of an, of an, of an example of a story that was given to me. Um, let me read this real quick. Gustav Bergstrom was a missionary in Brazil for 55 years and one of the greatest personal witnesses I have ever known. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to preach in Rio de, Rio de Janeiro and mention Gustav Bergstrom in my message. After the service, a Brazilian man approached me and told me his story. I am a believer because of Gustav, he began. The man had been a conductor on a train, and Gustav rode many trains as he traveled throughout Brazil to witness and plant churches. He always had quantities of gospel tracts and usually carried Bibles to give to those who were responsive to his witness. As the conductor was collecting tickets, Gustav witnessed to him. The porter was eager to learn more, about, uh, more but didn't have a Bible. And at the time, Gustav had none, but he promised to bring one when the train passed through town again. When will you return, Gustav replied. In three days, the porter said. But we arrive at 3 a.m. and we'll stop only to refuel. I will be here, Gustav said. The conductor didn't believe him and quickly forgot about the promise. Three days later, in the middle of the night, the train lumbered into town and stopped at the station. In the dim light, the porter saw a lone, shadowy figure standing on the platform. It was Gustav Bergstrom. Without a word, Gustav bowed his head toward the porter, handed him a Portuguese Bible, and walked away. 
Because of that meeting, I found Christ, he said. Today, I am an Assemblies of God pastor. This is exactly what being a disciple required. Gustav felt the burden, and he did what he was called to do, even when it brought him out at 3 o'clock in the morning to wait for a train to come by to be good to his word. That's what we're called to do. That's what being disciples are. That we will understand it's the, it's the act of doing something that results in the being of a Christian person. Disciples make disciples. And that is how the world is one for Christ. Disciples make disciples. I have to make other men disciples. You have to other make other men and women disciples. We together make disciples. And we need to do the part. We need to do our effort in all that. Does this mean that we have to all open soup kitchens? And does this mean that we all have to, you know, um, be on the street? No, it doesn't at all. But it does mean, though, that I have to be willing to do what Christ lays in my heart to do. Whatever that action is, do it. James talked about having faith without action. What did he, what did he say about faith without action? It was dead. Faith without action is dead. James was a doer. He didn't mess around. He, do, he did. He, he knew what it was like to be a disciple of Christ. Yes, I can have all the faith in the world, but if I don't put action to my faith, the faith doesn't accomplish anything on its own. So therefore, you must do something. Now, let me ask the question about age. When is the right age to be a disciple? When do I start being a disciple? And when am I done being a disciple? <laughs> Never. It's never too early to start being a disciple. Young person, I don't care how, what age you are right now, as young as you are, now is the day to begin to be a disciple. Older person, understand that your day of discipleship is still ongoing. It never ends until the day you take your last breath. We are to be disciples at all times. Paul talks to Timothy about being young and, and don't let young be a problem. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 11 and 12, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Age has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity. Age has nothing to do with your effectiveness or lack of effectiveness being a disciple. The younger you are is actually the best time to start. Now, for those older folks here, when is the time that you can rest? When is the time to stop being a disciple? Well, again, Paul talks to Timothy. And I want to read this part because in 2 Timothy, Paul is now reaching the end of his life. And he's, he's worked hard and he's been diligent. And Timothy is his spiritual son. And this is what he talks to Timothy about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 6 through 8, it says, For I, have already, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is a store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, when I read this part right here, I, in my mind's eye, I see Paul pulling out the rocking chair. I see him saying, okay, Timothy, I'm done. Uh, my, I've fought the good fight. My race is over. I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to just let you do it from here on out, Timothy. You're a young man, and I'm going to let you do the work. But then I read verse 9, 
And let's continue to read. Verse 9 says, Do your best to come to me quickly. At this time, Paul's in prison. For Demas, because he loved... Um, hang on. For, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Yeah, that word. Um, Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to, to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Hang on, see this? I sent Tychus to Ephesus. And when you come, here it is, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus of Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. See, Paul's not done working here. Paul just said, I'm poured out. I'm, I've finished the fight. My race is over. But bring me the stuff because I've got more work to do. I've got more to write. I've got more to read. I've got more things I need to get done because there's still life in me. There's still breath in me. But I do, but I do understand as well, though, that Paul is getting old because he says, bring the cloak. In other words, bring my coat. I'm getting old. I'm getting cold. I need more padding to sit on. So bring me, the, bring me that, uh, that blanket over there so that I can wrap myself up in it while I'm doing my work. See, maybe his work has changed. Maybe he's not being the man that's being the, the one, the hard laborer anymore. Maybe he's being the, the prayer. Maybe he's being the one at home and he's, and he's doing the, the diligence at home through his prayer life or his diligence of, of his discipleship there. So it doesn't make any difference how old or how young there's work to be done. Discipleship never ends. I've heard the story. I've heard it said before. It's not how you end. Not how you begin. It's how you finish. Let me give one rec one little tidbit here as well. The finishing part of life is so important. Finishing is vital. Obviously, finish strong. This church is going to finish strong. But here's what's important too: is that a young person. This is for you, and this is for me, and that is that I don't want my the end of my life to be all, I, all I'm known for. I want people to know me through my youth and through my middle age to be a godly man. I don't want to just wait to the end to try to make it better. I want to be able to go through all of my life on a constant upswing, on a constant growth pattern, on a constant mission to be a disciple for Christ. That's when we're really going to hear the Lord say, that's what I wanted. Now you got it. That's what I really want to see. I want to see that discipleship from the moment that you begin the discipleship process to the moment that you end. That's what I want to see is a constant growth. You don't have to do everything because you can't. But you must do something. You must do something. So as we conclude this morning, Jackie, if you'd come. Being a disciple is an absolute necessity of living a life pleasing to God. From the earliest days to my last days. It's absolutely positive, uh, absolutely essential. Don't waste a day of thinking that I don't have to do anything today. Don't waste that time. Don't waste a day that you'll think, young person, that I'll wait until it gets there later while I'm older and I've had all my fun. An older person, don't think that you're non-effective either. You are very effective. You need to encourage the young folks. You need to pray for the young folks. You need to still do what your hands allow you to do. Here's a couple of questions I want you to meditate on this morning as you go through this week. Are you ready to begin? And are you willing to continue your discipleship? Close your eyes with me if you would. And just, just let these answers, just write these down. In fact, I think I have them on your notes. But just let these questions, though, just ring in your heart. Are you ready to begin, if you haven't, young person, middle-aged person, older person, 
I don't know where you're at spiritually, but if you haven't really begun the discipleship process, are you ready to begin? Or are you willing to continue? If Jesus were to take you home today, what would he, what would he say to you? Would he say, well done? Would he? And let me ask you, where are you being challenged this morning to get more involved? What are the things that you need to do to get more involved in your life, whatever age you're at? Young person, older person, grandparent, what is it the Lord's challenging you with today? I know what he's challenging me with. There are a lot of things in my life I need to get done. If I want to reach my goal of being heavenly effective through earthly relevance, then there's things that I have to do yet. But I have to do them in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in my own ability, not in your own natural skills or talents, but as you prayerfully consider what the Lord has got for you. Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I know that there are so many blessings that you have in store for us. And, and Lord, those only come most of the time through testing, perseverance, and diligence on our part. So Lord, I just pray for each one of us this morning that are hearing this word today, that we would be encouraged in what it is to be, how to be a disciple, that we would take the practical aspects of getting our hands dirty sometimes, physically and spiritually. We have to get involved. We have to do, as James said, we have to do things. Help us to know what that means, Father. Clearly give us your vision. Give us your direction. Give us your purpose. Give us your understanding. We're asking of you, Father. Lord, we're standing on your word today. We're not going to be pushed backwards. We're not going to push to the left or to the right. Lord, we're going to stand here. We're going to make you at the center of our life. We're going to put you at the center point of our church. We're going to put you at the center point of our lives personally. We're going to be a disciple for you. We're going to move forward for you. But, Lord, I just need your wisdom. I need your strength. Help us to know what it means to pray continually. Help us to know what it means that I'm getting to know you, Jesus, as my person that I'm chasing after. Lord, we love you so much. And we just pray that we would be challenged now throughout this week, that we would be effectively ministering to you this week. Lord, that you would bring people across our path this week, that we can invite the church. We could pray with them. We could encourage them. We could feed into them because like Gustav had no idea the significance that he was when he gave that Bible. We have no idea the significance of our life when we're being obedient to you. We praise you now. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.